So um, during this snow um, last two or three days, I, I was looking at my phone and a new game came up that I decided I was going to play. Um, and I downloaded the game. And the first thing that happened when I downloaded the game on my phone is it brought up this thing that says, do you agree to the terms and conditions? You do realize that according to um, the Internet, which all things are true on the Internet, according to the Internet, the biggest or the most frequent lie told today is, yes, I have read the terms and conditions, right? I started to scroll to actually kind of see what was there because there are all kinds of things now that they give reports. I have an Apple phone on privacy and what information is collecting and all of that. But I realized it was going to be a long process, somewhere around 30 to 40 pages of terms and conditions. And so eventually I just checked yes. I checked yes and it came up, thank you for accepting all of the terms and conditions of this game. I don't know what I just agreed to, right? Like you just agree to whatever's there. Yes, sure. Take my information for years. It really was sell my information to whoever. That's what was going on. We didn't realize it, but it was happening. It was the terms and conditions of being able to use their software, to be able to use their app, terms and conditions, be able to use their product. There are terms and conditions when it comes to following Jesus. And last week we talked about this idea that we want to pursue Jesus in 2022. And we talked about how religion can get in the way of that. How this woman came to to see Jesus while the Pharisees were interrogating him. And she ended up falling at his feet, washing his feet with the tears and drying them with her hair. And we talked about what it looks like when you're a follower of Jesus, what that life looks like, this this extravagant, over-the-top, undignified worship, this unbelievable giving that you do, extraordinary generosity, and the desire to serve other people of and above yourself. Today I want to take kind of a step back and ask the question, so what are the prerequisites, what are the terms and conditions for following Jesus? Now, here's the thing about the terms and conditions for following Jesus. They're not new. They've been in the Bible for a long time. They've not been revised. This is not something that they change every so often. They haven't been updated. And they'll never go out of style. These are the official terms and conditions for following Jesus. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is in a discussion with his disciples, teaching them about what it means that he is the Messiah. In fact, and this won't be on the screen, but we're going to back up just a little bit. And I want you to see what's happening in this chapter before we get to it, so that we don't separate what Jesus teaches from the context in which he is teaching. And in Mark 8 chapter 27... He asked his disciples that question that we've talked about, I've preached upon. Who do people say that I am? And they answered all kinds of people. John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the other prophets. And Jesus then looks at them and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus tells them not to let anybody know. The verse 31 is a very important Transition for the disciples and for Jesus' teaching here. 
Because they assumed when Peter says you are the Messiah, there was an assumption in their mind about what that meant for Israel, what that meant for them, what that meant for people, that Jesus was the Messiah. The assumption was that meant that he was a conquering hero who would set everything right and restore Israel to its rightful place, throw off Roman oppression, and that the years of great Kingdom living for Israel were at hand once again. That the most prosperous times where they were going to experience in the very near future. That they, they have thought of it in two sections. They had the age that was and the age to come. And they thought when the Messiah came, that that Messiah would institute the age to come and everything would be set right for always and forever. Now, we know on the opposite side of the cross, on the 2,000 years after the cross almost, we know that what Jesus came to do was to set all things right, but not in the way that they thought, not in a geopolitical way, but in a way that would free the souls of not only the Jewish people who accepted him, but of everyone who has ever lived and will live, that if they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they would be set free forever. But Peter, when he says, you are the Messiah, he is not thinking in his mind a sacrifice that will save us from our sins. He is thinking conquering hero who will restore our nation. And so Jesus has to begin to change their understanding. And in verse 31 he says, he began to teach them that it was necessary... That the Son of Man, Him, the Messiah, to suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and then rise after three days. I love verse 32, just the audacity of Peter. He spoke openly about this. So he's telling them, listen, the Messiah doesn't mean I'm going to establish everything. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. Then I'll rise again. And it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine what that was like? Can you imagine Jesus in that moment just kind of like, all right, Peter, here you go. Have it out. Let it out, Peter. But turning around and looking at his disciples. Remember last week when he looked at the woman and rebuked Simon? He's now going to look at his disciples and rebuke Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. This is why that's important. We're going to read a verse that many of you have heard many times in your life, but you have not heard it connected to a discussion about what Jesus is going to go through. And just as Jesus had to subvert their expectations of what the Messiah was going to be for them, that he was going to be the conquering king, the political hero, the king who would establish everything, and in return that they would be his cabinet, his right-hand men, the ones that would rule with him over a revised, revitalized Israel, he had to say, that's not my mission and that's not the mission of the Messiah. I am going to be the one who is going to lay down his life and will rise again. And that is my accomplished goal. When we see this, Peter was like, no, 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 no. Jesus, you don't understand. You're the Messiah. You're going to rise to power. Jesus, that's not the way that I'm going. So what he did 
in verse 34, which is where we're going to focus today. Actually, we're going to focus on verse 34. Is he basically just says, that's what it means for me to be this Messiah. Sacrifice, suffering, rejection, death. And then he says, and this is what it means for you to be a follower of me. Sacrifice, suffering, rejection, and possibly even death. Calling the crowd along with his disciples. So he had this moment with the disciples and Peter. Then he calls everybody back. Everybody come back, come back. We're ready. We're ready to go again. He said to them, that's to all of them. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? And what can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes into the glory of his Father with the Holy Angels. So he says, Peter, if you think it's bad that I'm going to suffer, that I'm going to die as the Messiah, here's the better news. So are you because of me. Basically, what Jesus tells us in this passage is that the pathway to discipleship is the pathway that Jesus has already walked. That at some way, in some point of our lives, we're going to talk about what that means exactly, that if we're going to follow Jesus, it will mean rejection and suffering and possibly even giving everything we have for him. And yes, there will be a resurrection at the end. Yes, there will be a vindication at the end. Yes, there is heaven at the end. Yes, we will have all things made right in the end. But the path to vindication for Jesus went through humiliation. Now here's the reason this is a big deal for us as we think about pursuing Jesus in 2022 is this. Is that sometimes it gets sold in our culture. We'll talk about this more in just a minute. As that follow Jesus and everything will be made right. Everything will be good. You'll be great. Everything's good. Like you'll, you'll, you'll get better grades and you'll, you'll, you'll do better. Like you'll hit more shots in basketball and, and your, your business will zoom. If you just, just do, just follow Jesus and everything will be made right in your life. When the reality is Jesus never taught that for the here and now. He did teach that it could cause suffering. That it might bring pain and that it's all worth it in the end anyways. And what I want us to understand is that following Jesus with passionately devoted lifestyle in 2022 will not mean some minor adjustments to a couple of areas of our lives. It is total devotion to him. Look at verse 34 with me. Again, he calls the crowd along with his disciples and he says to them, if anyone, we're going to get to deny himself in just a moment. But I want to make sure that we're clear on something from the outset. This is not the rule for super Christians. 
This is not the rule to follow Jesus for the elite believers. This is not for the really good guys. This is for anyone who wants to follow Jesus. Anyone who wants to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Anyone who wants to be a part of his family. Anyone of us. This is not the master's level degree. This is the entry point of elementary school for those that want to be Jesus followers. And Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him first, and he gives us three things, deny himself. In 2022, if we're going to follow Jesus, the first thing we have to understand about our own lives is that the gospel is a call to self-denial, not self-fulfillment, not self-help. It's a call for all of us in this room to deny our plans and our agendas and our comfort and our schedule and our ideas and our desires in the service of what God is calling us to do. It is the daily practice of removing ourselves from the center of our own universe. We are by nature self-centered and selfish people. We are by nature people who think about, live out our lives focused on how something will impact me, myself, and I. We care about things that benefit us, that help us, that make us feel better, that give us a purpose. We want to be involved in things that place us in a good position. We want to be around people that make us feel good about ourselves. We do not need any books on how to be more self-centered. It's already there. It's put into us. It is hardwired into the original sin DNA of who we are. That our rebellious nature against God seeks our interest first. And that is as individuals, that's as organizations, that's as families, that's as groups. We are by nature self-centered. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me... Anyone wants to follow me. The first step is to deny yourself, your desires, your comfort, your ideas, your agenda, your schedule, you. One of the easiest ways to see this built-in self-centeredness in us is when you're a parent and you have children. Because you see it played out in your children Over and over and over again. I I have never had to teach one of my children how to feel an injustice has been done to them when they don't get what they want. Right? Like, I've never had to say, do you understand there that you didn't get what you want? And so, you should feel that you have had an injustice done against you. Like, it's just there. How many times in your family are the words, it's not fair, uttered about an injustice on somebody else? 
right? We don't say that about, it's not fair for my sister that I get this benefit and she doesn't. That's not where it's said. It's not fair as always, I didn't get what I want. Now, we've talked about this before. Another way, and this is an example I've used a few times over the last 15 years. Another way that we know we are by nature self-centered people is, how do you determine whether you like a picture that you are in? No matter how many other people are in the picture. How you look. It can be a picture of 30 people and they all look perfect. And if you look weird, I don't like that one. We got, we got to do it again. Right? It can be a picture of 30 people and they can be looking in various directions and you look perfect and you're like, ah, that's it. That's the one. Right? We are concerned about ourselves. And Jesus says that if we're going to follow him, the first thing that we have to do is to say that it's not about me. My life, my purpose, my desires, my agenda, my schedule is not about me. And then he amps up the imagery here because he says not only do you deny yourself, but then he says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and then do what? Take up his cross. Now, let's just talk real briefly about what that means because somehow in our day, the cross has been made into something that's not as serious as what Jesus meant in this moment. In fact, sometimes you'll hear people say things like, every one of us has our cross to bear. And sometimes those are really serious, very difficult moments, but sometimes they're not. I almost kind of say it jokingly, you know. I know it's just January, but in a couple of months, some of us in this room will be thinking about giving up some things as we approach Easter. And sometimes in that happening, like you'll hear somebody go, man, I I haven't had chocolate in two weeks and it's just my cross to bear. Right? Everyone's got one. The cross, when he mentions it here, for the Jewish people to whom he is speaking, was a metaphor from the Roman world. That Jewish people would have been very familiar with. Now we're familiar with Jesus on the cross. They would have been familiar with it in an experiential way of seeing people die that way. They believed, and it's probably true, that they had, the Romans had invented the most brutal form of death in the history of mankind. But what they also realized is that in a lot of situations, in most situations, that they would cause the person who was going to execution on the cross to literally carry their cross to the execution. Now we know in the story of Jesus, he had to carry it part of the way, but could not carry it all the way because of the beating he had already taken. And someone stepped in and helped, which would sometimes occur. But the picture is there. It's most likely just the cross beam, but they would carry it to their own execution. It symbolized that this was a dead man walking. And the point that Jesus is making here is that if you're going to come after me, if you're going to follow me, Peter, if you really want to be a part of my kingdom, if you want to be a part of my, it's not going to lead to a palace on this earth where you're going to have riches and fame and fortune and you're going to sit at my right hand while we rule over revitalized Israel. It's going to be pain and suffering and death and you have to be willing to give the ultimate sacrifice of your life to follow me. And the point he's making is because it is worth 
everything we have to follow Jesus. And let's just be honest. We live in a time, in a world, in a setting where it is probably not going to cost you everything to follow Jesus. And I'm not upset about that. I'm not saying that we should live in a time when it did. I'm glad that we live in that place. It's probably not going to cost you your life to follow Jesus. It may, but it probably not. It's probably not going to cost you all your money. In fact, we do live in a society where if you follow the principles that Jesus lays out, that the Bible sets forth, that you probably have a chance of prospering and doing really well. It's probably not going to take your family away from you. It's probably not going to take your job away from you. But the question Jesus is asking and posing here is this. If you want to follow after me, you're going to have to deny yourself and you're going to have to be willing to give up absolutely anything to follow me. That this is a cause worth saying goodbye to your former life, never more to see it again. I read this week the story of a Scottish father during World War I who had a son that was preparing to go to military service. He was getting ready to go fight in the war. And as they were gathered outside and they were talking to, it was a group of dads with their sons that were leaving to go to their mission. His son's name was Thomas. And he said to his son, Goodbye, my dear Thomas, my dear Thomas. I will never see you again. The story is told that his son Thomas did indeed die in World War I. And he would later say that he believed his son was fighting a battle that was worthy of giving his life. Of giving the ultimate sacrifice for it. I wonder how many of us believe following Jesus is that kind of mission. You see, these are the terms and conditions of following him. They're not new. They've not been revised. They're the same as they have been for a couple of thousand years. They cannot be modified and they will never be rescinded. And when Peter said that you are the Messiah, he thought it meant a march into the kingdom palace. And Jesus says to follow me is a march into danger and possibly losing everything. Paul, writing in the New Testament, picked up on these themes, Romans 12, 1, that this is your spiritual act of worship. Is to do what? Is to give your life as a living sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with everything you have. Calling the crowd together, getting his disciples in there. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. And then the last thing is, and follow me. Again, we hear that and we think of some kind of mental, theological, spiritual sense. We're going to follow Jesus and follow the teachings. And there is some of that here. But what Jesus is describing comes immediately after he has told them that what is ahead for him is rejection and death and punishment. So what does it mean for us to pursue 
Christ, to be a disciple of His, to follow Him. And it's simply this, that we pursue a relationship with Him above all else. To know Him, we need to know His Word, because that is where He has revealed Himself to us. We need to daily be in the Word of God, reading the Word of God, digesting the Word of God, understanding and studying the Word of God. We need to pursue a relationship with Him, not only in the Word of God, but in our prayer life. Seeking fellowship with Him as we enter into that place where God has welcomed us because of what Jesus has done. Our prayers go directly to the Father. We need to be pursuing that relationship with God. We need to pursue that relationship in the company of other believers. One of the most tragic things that's happened in the last two years in our country and around the world it has allowed people to have an excuse not to gather with the people of God on a regular basis. Following Christ is not a lone ranger endeavor. It is not a solo mission. It must be pursued with other people around other people, alongside other people who are also pursuing their relationship with Christ. And that doesn't have to be in this particular church, although I think this is a really good particular church to be a part of. But it needs to be part of a church somewhere where you are interacting face-to-face and around other people. Pursuing that relationship, following Christ. It's the same thing that Jesus did when He was here on this earth. He pursued a relationship with His Father. We know that He learned the Word of God. When He is tempted in the wilderness, He quotes Deuteronomy. On the list of books that I want to memorize in the Bible, Deuteronomy is way down the list. Right? Some of you are like, no, I would tackle Deuteronomy first. No, you wouldn't. Right? We'll go for Jude, one of the shortest books in the whole Bible. We'll do that. Jesus had memorized vast portions of the Bible. It says that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He is seeking the Father through God's Word, living his life through the Word of God. He is seeking the Father in prayer time and time again. He gets by himself to pray. And he sought it in the midst of people. He gathered to himself disciples and he taught them along the way and lived and pursued that relationship with God in front of them, with them. Following Jesus means doing what Jesus did. He pursued a relationship with his Father. Following Him means practicing obedience and those things that God calls us to do. Jesus was flawless. He was sinless. He was perfectly obedient. And I think about that moment when He is in the Garden of Gethsemane and He is struggling with whether or not to go to the cross. And He says to His Father, if there is any other way, I want you to do that. Take this cup from me if you can. But He says basically, not my will, but yours. I will be obedient to what you've called me to do. 
Following Jesus means pursuing a relationship with the Father. It means practicing obedience to what he's called us to do. It means enduring hardship and difficulty that will come our way. If Jesus is our example, I think about the Apostle Paul who says that he wants to know Christ. And he talks about knowing him and the power of his resurrection, but he also says, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. That in my darkest moments, I want to walk through them as he did. And the last thing, and then we're done. Following me means it's not only pursuing a relationship through the word and through prayer and through people. It's not only practicing obedience to what we've been called to do. It's not only enduring hardship. It is depending on God for every step of the way. Can I tell you what's interesting about this particular verse in verse 34? I mean, the verses that come after it, we didn't have time really to get into that, but it's the idea of what else are you going to give your life to that is worth anything? I mean, who, who would give up their soul, their eternity with Jesus? Who would give up the privilege it is to be a part of his family for anything else? Here's what's interesting about this passage, and we're going to get into the original language for just a moment because I want you to see something here. It says that if you want to follow after me, that is a continual thing. It uses three verbs, deny, take up, and follow. Two of those verbs are actions that happen at a specific moment in history and are done. So it says in there, let him deny himself and take up his cross. There should have been a moment in your life when you laid down your old life, when you said, I am done with it. I want to deny my hopes, deny my ability to save myself, deny all of that. I'm going to take up the cross and be willing to give it all up for the sake of Jesus Christ. There was a moment when that happened and it is done and it is settled. And when that happened, the righteousness of Christ was passed to you. And then the word comes after that. Follow me is a word that means continuous, ongoing action that has no destination in the future. And so the idea is there ought to be a place in your life when you say, I'm done. I give up my my desires, my hopes, my wants, and I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to lay down my life, literally my old life and anything that Christ wants from me. I'm laying it down and then I am going to pursue Christ every day, every moment for the rest of my life. I'm going to do all I can to follow Christ. Him into eternity. And so the terms and conditions are to lay down our selfishness and our self-centeredness, to be willing to sacrifice it all, and to simply follow Jesus. What does that look like for you in 2022? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the opportunity and the chances you give us to follow you regardless of what we've done, regardless of what our past is, that you love us, you redeem us, you change us. Lord, I pray that you would remind us again that in the difficulty we are walking with you, in the good times we are walking with you, And, Lord, that you are blessing us every day. Lord, I pray that you'll give us the passion and the desire to live our lives passionately devoted to you in this year. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.